we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 about 45 seconds later is the most horrible scream that I've ever heard. A guy screaming, not really saying anything, just this blood-curdling scream. Maybe there was an oh my god in there and I've never heard anything. Just like, you talk about piercing the night and then you automatically realize, oh shit. Yeah. Something horrible has happened, somebody's hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to our new show. This won't hurt a bit. What you heard was an outtake from one of this episode's stories. There'll be more coming up soon. My name's Mel Herbert, and I'll be one of your hosts. I'm an ER doc, work in the emergency department, have for about 25 years, on two continents, on the front line, seeing the sick, seeing the injured, seeing the worst that people can do, and seeing the best that they can do. But I've taken a little time off to produce this show. But more on this later. You see, it's really hard to do episode one. Starting with an explanation of the show rather than actually just doing the show always comes off a little lame, I think. A little flat, a little uninteresting. But I think we have to do it. But let's do it fast. This show is the product of a group of docs and artists and audio professionals that produce medicine's largest and most popular education podcast. That podcast is called EM Rap. It keeps those docs and nurses working on the front line of emergency medicine up to date. It reminds them all the things they need to know when they're looking after all kinds of emergencies, from heart attacks to fevers in little kids to how to take out that toy train from that special place you put it. It's a show full of education and science, but we also pack it with humor and history and music. It's a real-life edutainment variety show. The subscribers, they really love it. It's grown enormously over the last 15 years. And those same docs and nurses that listen to the show, that get their education from that show, said you should do another one, just like it, but for the non-medical crowd. Aim it at smart people, not trained in medicine, but interested in all that is good and bad and ugly about the human body, about the human psyche, and about medical history. And so here it is. Stories and discussions to inform you, to inspire you, yeah, and entertain you. Your other host will be Jess. She's an ER doc in training. And we're going to hear more from Jess in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about a big crash. This story first appeared on our medical show, but we've reworked it for you here. There's lots of drama, there's lots of tension, and there's even lessons to be learned. There's some medical terms. I'll jump in every now and then, as little as possible, just to tell you what those are, but to try and not break the flow of the story. So the other voice you're going to hear is Aaron Bright, another ER doc. We're talking about this story from our perspective of working in the emergency department, of seeing patients come in, of paramedics bringing us sick people. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for the first time for the public, the big crash. Mel Herbert. Yes. Turns out you told me the craziest story I've ever heard in my freaking life. Uh-huh. We're talking about yesterday morning. Barely 24 hours ago, young man. I'm not even going to set it up, so tell me the story. Okay, so we'd gone to Homeboy's annual dinner. Homeboy so Industries. Homeboy Industries, which is one of the charities that we are involved with, and it was a great night. And great night. Lives changed, and gangbangers going to jail, and then coming out and getting jobs through Homeboy, and we're just having a great night. It was a wonderful time. Look up Homeboy Industries on the internet. It's quite a cool place. It's very cool and you should help support them. 
So then I'm uh, minding my own business when yeah. all of a sudden I'm asleep. <laughs> I sleep in my bed, 3 a.m. Yeah. The window's open, warm night in Los Angeles. Yeah. We hear this giant crash. And both my wife and I woke up. And initially, I didn't think too much of it, although it was bigger than usual. Outside our house is a bit of a dip, so when big right. trucks go over it, they'll often go clunk, clunk, smashing. But this one was clearly very loud, and I thought, boy, that sounds like somebody lost their glass load or something that right. fell off the truck. Right, and right, like, right. whatever, so I roll over. About 45 seconds later is the most horrible scream that I've ever heard. A guy screaming, not really saying anything, just this blood-curdling scream. Maybe there was an oh my God in there and I've never heard anything. Just like, you talk about piercing the night and then you automatically realize, oh shit, yeah. something horrible has happened. Somebody's hurt. I get up and throw my jeans on and my shoes and my wife immediately comes behind me. She's a nurse practitioner. She picks up the phone and starts dialing 911 and then I run up the street. So I'm running uh, down the street and about four houses up, I enter the scene, this surrealistic scene. There's a car upside down. Yeah. There's a wheel in the middle of the road just torn off this car. It's a BMW flipped upside down and crushed. Absolutely crushed. And the car's in the middle of the road. Middle of the road. So then as I get closer, I see that there's a girl sort of half in, half out of the car. There's a guy on top of her trying to do some form of CPR. This is the well, screamer. This is the screaming guy, okay. I find out in about five seconds. Yeah. So he's pumping on her chest and blowing into her mouth, but she's still got some movement. You know, she's still alive. So step number one is I have to pull him off. I'm like, you know, dude, stand back. I'm a doctor. Let me check her out. So then uh, he steps back and then I see this girl. So uh, the quick assessment is there's a lot of blood. Uh, she's spontaneously breathing. Okay. No spontaneous eye movement, moving her arms a little bit. She's probably got her left hip is dislocated Ooh. and her chest uh, looks like it's flail. Ooh, how are you? young, old? Young, so in her 20s. Okay. So a flail chest is when you have multiple ribs that are broken and the chest wall is moving the wrong way. Usually when you take a breath in, your chest wall rises. When you've got lots of broken ribs, particularly on one side, that chest wall starts to collapse. It's a sign of a really serious chest injury. And she's got the horrible gurgling respirations at oh, 45. And he's been doing CPR he's on been doing, her potentially flail chest? Yeah, nightmare. So then when I get him back and then uh, I start to sort of uh, go, well, f what am I going to do? <laughs> so I start to just give her a jaw thrust and then she's got an airway and she's breathing. A jaw thrust is a simple procedure where we put our hands behind the angle of the jaw and just push it forward a little bit. People that are deeply unconscious often can't control their airway. They don't have any muscle tones. So we just lightly push it forward. It brings the tongue off the back of the throat and people can breathe a little better. Okay. So he's screaming, oh my God, oh my God, I think I killed her. I think I killed her. We had a fight. I was drinking. Uh, I flipped the car. I killed my girlfriend. I killed my girlfriend. My life is over. My life is over. Ugh. Running around screaming bedtime. Other people there, most of whom are screaming and being not very useful. Some are calling 911. Thankfully, uh, my wife gets there. She assesses the situation and grabs that guy and starts talking him down because okay. he's about to run away. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm, my life is over. I'm going to get a DUI. My life is over. I'm going to run. She's like, don't run. They're going to find you anyway. Stay here. Look after your girlfriend. Chill out. So then I sort of continue to assess her, giving her a jaw thrust and then feeling the back of her head, which is squished 
you can feel she's got a depressed skull fracture. Oh, and she's not bleeding a lot, but she's bleeding, you know, reasonably briskly. And she is clearly unconscious. She is unconscious. Yeah. She's got few spontaneous arm movements. Okay. Not talking. Uh, she opens her eyes every now and then. Do you have light at this point? Is it light out there? No, not really. Some person had a flashlight, so every now and then oh. when I can get his attention, we get the flashlight on. And I know that 911's coming because my wife's called. Then I realized, oh, I've made about 17 mistakes already. Yeah. You know, like you've gone straight to the injured person. We haven't sort of cordoned off the scene to make sure it's safe, although right. there were some cars there and you're thinking nobody's going to come flying through, but didn't even think about that for a second. Went yeah. straight to the person on the ground. Yeah. And then I realized, hang on, there's a car upside down here. Yeah. A like, dude with flashlight. Is there anybody else in the car? Oh my gosh, yeah. So the driver dude says, no, it was just me and my girlfriend, just the two of us. But still, I get the guy with the flashlight. Just look anyway. God right. knows what the hell's going on here. Yeah, who knows what that guy's doing. So he looks in there and uh, there's nobody in there. And then you realize like there's gas pouring out of the car. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Then again, I'm you know just holding her airway and sort of trying to do some sort of an assessment. And the realizations, sort of the revelations start hitting you. And they come fast, furious. First of all, this is like a zombie apocalypse. What the hell have we walked up onto here? Right. The first big revelation you have is that there's crap all I can do for this person. Right. You've got 25 years of ER experience. You've worked in Resusset County. You've seen the worst possible things. And you realize there's nothing you can do. Without equipment, without trained nurses, and without a hospital, Right. all I can do is basically do a jaw thrust and C-spine maneuvers in we're, this lady. We're almost undertrained for this stuff. We're in the scene. You don't, there's no gurney. There's They're nothing. not strapped down. There's nothing You're there. You're not pissed that there's no IV. It's crazy. So that's revelation number one. Revelation number two, having had that revelation was, where the hell's the ambulance? Yeah. <laughs> Help! Where are you guys? Yeah. And so what seems like an eternity, then as you're just sitting there and I'm like, she has got a very good chance of going apneic. Apneic is when a person just stops breathing. It can happen for lots of reasons, but in a serious head injury, it's because your brain just stops. Then I'm completely screwed. What am I gonna do? Yeah. I do a little CPR, a little airway maneuver. I can't tuba. I got nothing, wow. nothing to help her with. Scary. So I'm just standing there and trying to talk to her, not sure that she can hear anything, of course. Then I sort of, as I'm further into it, realizing, shoot, who else is around? What's going on? But mostly going, ambulance, please come. Ambulance, please come. Usually when you see the paramedics come, it's work. Oh, you're bringing us more work. Right. And now you're like, and now I'm like, now I get it. Could you guys hurry? So they arrive. I've been in these situations. None, this is my worst, but I've, you know, looked after MI patients in the street and stuff. There's usually two things that happen. One is that they just push you the hell out of the way. Yep. And the other one is they actually, you know, spend a little time finding out who you are. So as they come up, one of the paramedics asks what's going on. So I sort of give them a GCS score and a quick overview of the scene. And I'm doing a dual thrust here. Her respiration's at 45. She's got a 3D pulse. She's clearly got a flail chest, right. left hip dislocation, and a big time head injury. Yeah. And that sort of takes him back and goes, who are you? And I'm like, I'm an ER doc. Let's get her out of here fast. Sure, we right. need to get her to a trauma center. He was very good and understood. And then the captain comes up and says, who's that guy? And he goes, oh, he's a doc. And he goes, all right, take over from him. And 
And then they do their stuff and they do it very well, very right. fast. They get her on a gurney, they package her up. I'm standing around because I think she could lose her airway. And if she does, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get it. I might have to croak her, but they're like, okay, doc, you've done enough. <laughs> Step aside. They didn't say anything, but they're like, look at me. Back off, big yeah, fella. Right, back right, off. Right, this, we've right. got it. And I wanted them to have, I'm like, go, go. Because the last thing I want to do is get between them and a trauma center. Don't screw around at the scene. Go. So they package her up pretty quickly. It always seems like eternity, though, when you're standing and you're like, go, 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 go. Right, right, right. Um, but they do it pretty quick and they take her off. Off she goes. And then I stand around for a little while and talk to a few people who are freaking out. And boyfriend, perpetrator, as it were, is Does now the cops come, ever come The cops arrive at around the same time. And this is sort of a classic. And for those of you outside the United States or at least outside large metropolitan areas in the United States. Right. Because of the system we have here, you don't just get an ambulance. You often will get the firefighters. So they'll and come the in the rig. big rigs, yeah, big rig. The whole firefighting rig. But in classic sort of US uh, fashion, you don't get one. By the yeah. time I looked up yeah. and I've got blood and crap all over me, by the time I look up, there are six of these giant rigs, oh, wow. paramedics everywhere, yeah. and about five cop cars. Wow. And they're sort of cordoning off the scene and doing what they do. Right. And uh, the guy is sort of sitting now on the ground, just like continuing to freak out. Clearly sort of jacked up on some substances. Right. And also jacked up on a little thing called epinephrine. Yes. So then you realize there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Talk to a few of the people. Yep. And uh, they drive off and I've got blood all over me. And uh, my wife and I look at each other. And I'm like, I guess it's time to go home for a shower. So uh, go home and hit the shower, hop into bed, and amazingly enough, I'm asleep in like 20 minutes. Yeah. But oh, I really? have the most disturbing <laughs> dreams. In fact, the next morning I wake up, I'm like, although I clearly knew that what just happened and we we're talking about it, the dreams that came after it was like, was really confusing. My dreams, and I, it's hard to remember exactly because you know how they go away, but I right. was something about, I was in the ear and there was a crash in the emergency department yeah. and I couldn't uh, get one of the nurses from under the car. It was a really yeah. bizarre... Somebody like, fell <laughs> off their unicorn. <laughs> but then you know you're dreaming. <laughs> That's a total dream. <laughs> so the next morning, I'll just tell you the follow-up. So the next morning, um, my wife and I wake up and have breakfast and we like go and assess the scene. And just as we get up there, they're piling the car onto the big truck. There's still that wheel, the surrealistic ripped-off wheel in the middle of the road and some guy comes and picks that up and throws it on the back of the truck. Wow. And they're cleaning up all the gas. And then we see what happened, which was, you know, one or two houses further down, there's a very short brick fence. And the car had clearly come around the corner and hit this brick fence and gone up on one wheel and run right across the top of the fence and then flipped upside down into the middle of the road. Wow. And we actually talked to the person who owned that fence. And it turns out as this thing hit, it fired these chunks of rock through her window. Wow. Multiple chunks of rock through the window into her two cars at the front of the house. They didn't know what was going on. They thought somebody was breaking into their house. Sure, yeah. So they called 911 and like, somebody's breaking in and it's bad and they're screaming. And at first they didn't believe them. Then they started getting more 911 calls. Wow. Uh, but crazy. Like she said, if it wasn't 3 a.m., if it was the middle of the afternoon, that's where they sit and have dinner and lunch. And there is just this boulder that came through the window and could have killed somebody. And I don't know these neighbors. This were in a neighborhood where there's not good footpaths and stuff. Yeah. And it's not set up to know your neighbors. So this is just a neighbor like five houses down. Right. Never met him Never before. Never met him before. No, and now. Yeah. Very nice lady. Now it's good. You can yeah. talk about yeah. your favorite story. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things to think about in mm. that sort of environment. It's crazy that the Mel Herbert has somebody go upside down in front of his house. That is kind of weird to me. It brings up a lot of different things. Number one, the scene, right? 
The sea's crazy. We are not used to seeing the scene. No. We're used to seeing paramedics and a really mm -hmm. mangled, bloody person, but it's pretty contained. All of your trauma and misery is basically contained in a three foot by six foot gurney. And you never really even think about the scene and not only just how mangled the car is, but how crazy everybody is. Right. And that it was a real learning lesson. You know, as a resident stuff, you do your EMS runs and stuff. But if you don't have a particularly bad week or two weeks, you don't see this. Right. And sometimes the paramedics will bring in a picture of a car that's squished yes. or whatever. Yeah. And you go, wow, that must have been bad. And I have lots of friends that are on the outside that are paramedics. And yeah. I always say to them, look, you have it much worse than us. You come around the corner, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. But this was the first time I realized it really does take training to not make all the mistakes I made. So I call my buddy Kevin McCresser. Kevin is a firefighter, paramedic, 25 years experience here in Los Angeles in some of the most difficult places to work at in this giant city. I had a lot of questions for Kevin and your respect. Specifically to start, what should I have done when I got to this scene? What am I supposed to do? Well, like you mentioned, scene safety is our priority when we arrive on scene, mainly for the firefighters and paramedics and then for the victims. But as you were saying, you thought of scene safety as kind of an afterthought, but you probably thought of it pretty quick. But you, as somebody who's by themselves, don't have the luxury of, let's say, a paramedic engine where we have four guys. You know, the captain can concentrate on scene safety. The engineer can concentrate on traffic control. So each of us has a job that would kind of touch on each of those areas that you talked about, looking for additional victims. Yeah, you know, there could be spilled fuel. There could be a problem, you know, with the battery igniting the fuel, which rarely happens, but it is something that you have to be concerned about. But we have the manpower to handle all those concerns that you were just talking about. Whereas somebody who's by themselves, you're overwhelmed your resources are overwhelmed and but it's natural just to go running and try and help the person who's most critical first but again like i said you don't have that luxury and we do so what would you do if you came to a scene like that and there's usually a few people standing around do you assign people jobs and say you know make sure a car doesn't come and drive over the top of us and sort of act like a policeman would you do something like that yeah for instance last year i came upon an accident on highway 395 on my way up to mammoth i was by myself and I thought first of scene safety, I pulled my car out of the way, made sure I was safe, made sure that anybody else who was arriving on scene was out of the highway and not going to get hit, and then made sure that the vehicle that I witnessed roll was stable and there was no additional problems such as fire or spilled fuel. It's really hard even you know, as a paramedic or as a doctor, you don't have your tools with you if you're by yourself and that's an extremely frustrating. Okay, so a couple of things. Number one, we should say outright, fucking drinking and driving. Oh my gosh. Right? Totally nebulous, mm -hmm. sort of blurry. Everybody knows it's bad, but it's not really that bad until you turn your car over and kill your girlfriend. Yep. I mean, come on. Yep. Right? I mean, just a good reminder for everybody out there, ourselves, everybody out there, that's why you don't drink and drive and do whatever else and drive. So at this point, it's normal for people to want to know, well, what happened to this girl? What happened to this guy? But I have to summarize it this way. Although I might be able to, as her treating physician at the scene, be able to say, well, I am one of the doctors that look after her. There are actually rules called HIPAA that protect patients' privacy. So it's a little bit of a gray area as to whether I could go to the hospital or call the hospital and say, look, I looked after this patient on the street. I would like to know what happened to her. 
I think that uh, sometimes that's a reasonable thing to do. Sometimes that might not be reasonable. The fact is, the reason that I would try and follow up would be more for the show than for anything that I could do for her ongoing care. So I decided that it was not the most professional thing to do to follow up and find out what went on. Now, in the past, I have looked after patients in the streets. I had a gentleman who had a heart attack. And I later called the hospital and I asked how he was doing. And that seemed completely appropriate and he was doing fine. Time has passed uh, with this uh, situation and I don't think it's now appropriate for me to do it because I frankly would be doing it more for the show than otherwise. The point is it doesn't really matter to the sort of teaching or the most important aspects of this story, whether she had a significant brain injury or whether she got better or whether she died would not be the point of this story. The point of this story, of course, is that really bad things can happen. And even if she was lucky enough to not have bad things happen, it would have only been because of luck and for no other reason. sitting at the edge of my seat the whole time. Um, I could, I could picture myself being there and that sounds like a really, really difficult situation to be in. That's Jess, Jess Mason. You'll be hearing a lot of her. She's our other co-host. She's an ER doc in training. Well, now's a good time to do something else with the show. It's a little thing we call the story behind the story. So we've got the show. You've heard part of the show. You've sort of get the feel of how this is going to go down. We also want to tell you about the people behind the show and how the show develops. And in that vein, in that spirit, therefore, I want to tell you about Jess. It's fascinating. You see, Jess became a doc because she got sick of the entertainment industry. The last straw was I was actually a hand double for Mini Driver. Jess was a theater major. She had no intention to go into medical school. She was going to be an actress. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I thought I was going to go into theater, film and TV. But like so many people who start down that path, it doesn't always work out. As I started kind of getting a little bit of work out in LA, started realizing that I wanted something a little bit different. I wanted something a little bit more uh, science-based, something I felt like I, mainly that I had a regular job is mainly what I wanted. And here's where Mini Driver comes in. (laughs) It was in a show, it was on Fox. it, this was like 10 years ago, but it was on Fox. It was called The Riches. And she was kind of like a gypsy con artist. And she had to do this magic trick. I can help you. I got Aubrey for that. I know what paralegal means. But Jess thought this was pretty weird because she wasn't trained as a magician at all. But she was actually trained as... A ventriloquist. But through people she knew when she was in ventriloquist school at the Magic Castle growing up, she got the job. And here's what happened. One of them had been contacted to try to find a woman who could do this card trick for Mini Driver. So they called me, which was odd because I wasn't a magician. And they said, Jess, we need someone who can do this card trick. And I was like, okay, good luck with that. And they're like, no, we want you to do it. So um, I said, well, I don't do card tricks. Uh, And they said, well, it's very easy. We can teach you. And I said, if it's that easy, go teach Mini Driver. (laughs) They said, we promise it's easy. You can do the trick. So sure enough, I learned how to do the trick. It wasn't that hard. I was immediately hired and I showed up the day to film the scene for the show. And luckily they had hired actually two of us for the show. They hired me and one other girl and they were going to pick whose ever hands looked more like Minnie's. So I waited out in the hot sun all day. I'm already kind of fed up with the entertainment industry. Like, it's so hard to get a job and you hurry up and wait. And so 
they come over to choose between us. And I just sort of stand in the back and play it cool. And they see the other girl and they point to her and they're like, are you doing the trick? And she's like, yeah. And so like, okay, great. Come with us. So I kind of slowly back away. I was getting paid either way. And I was like, great. I'm out. I'm going home. I go home. A couple hours later, I get a phone call saying, we need you to come back. We, we didn't realize that the other girl is only 17 and she doesn't have a worker's permit. So she can't legally work on the set. I said, well, if you want me to come back, it's going to be another $200. I was done. And so they said, okay, come on back. No problem. So I drove back and uh, now it was like 11 p.m. It was cold. There wasn't any warm food there. You know, there wasn't anywhere comfortable to wait. And what ended up happening is they they called for the scene before me and they kept asking, Jess, are you practicing? Are you practicing? And then they called for the scene after my scene. And then the one after that. And I, I was like, are we going to film the scene with the card trick? And they said, oh, we cut that one. And that's when I was like, I hate this business. I'm out. And she gets this crazy idea. About maybe going into medicine. And went back to college, had taken a little time off, went back to college and really never looked back. I loved it. I realized that I actually did like science. And um, I was fortunate to get into medical school into a great medical school, USC, and then from there decided to go into emergency medicine. And now I am doing my residency training, which is the um, postgraduate training where you choose your specialty and you learn all about that specialty. So I'm doing that out in Cleveland, Ohio. So if you thought the doctors were the geeky kid that sat up the back of the class and were really good at math and science and never did much interesting in their lives, Jess proves you wrong. I did get my extra $200 though. So that's the story of Jess. We'll be telling you about more of the players in this program as we go. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got more great stuff coming. In episode two, we're going to be talking about things that go bite, things that can hurt you on the outside of the hospital, and some crazy bitey things that they use inside the hospital. In episode three, we're going to talk about some neurological conditions that you can get that make things appear like you're in Alice in Wonderland. We're also going to be doing some stuff on death and dying. That one you really don't want to miss. But for now, I want to thank Jess. My name's Mel Herbert. Thanks also to Aaron Bright. This Won't Hurt A Bit is a production of the soon-to-be non-profit Foolyboo Incorporated, produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. Sound designed by Wendy Rodeweiss. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt A Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor, so be sensible and keep it real. Thanks for listening. We hope to talk to you a lot in the months and the years ahead. Mostly, you know why? Mostly because this, 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 this,